0: Welcome to the CannaCuck Podcast. We hope you'll be encouraged to have an I'm Third approach as you navigate marriage, family, leadership, and spiritual growth. If you're new to our conversation, welcome. It's so great to have you. Let's jump in.
1: Welcome to the CannaCuck Podcast. My name is Shay Robbins, and I'm excited to be here with you today. We are in the middle of our camp season. There are kids running around uh, here at K1, laughing, giggling, sliding down slides, zipping down zip lines, and uh, the bell has been ringing all summer long. And so um, we're just thrilled to be here at camp today. Um, And and today on the podcast, we happen to be talking leadership, specifically creating an I'm third culture. With the help of a good friend, we're going to talk about building a team culture that's based on the I'm third lifestyle of putting God first, others second, and ourselves third. Uh, I'd like to introduce to you a dear friend of mine named Greg Tonegal. He is the coach of the Indiana Westland Wildcats. And Greg is a former camp guy who has taken the I'm third culture and instilled it in his basketball program. And uh, to be honest with you, they have been wildly successful. They've had three national championships in the last six years. And uh he is just an amazing leader, and we're excited to have him. Greg, say hello to the people. Hello, people. I'm glad to be here and excited. Greg, give us a, a quick CannaCuck background. What's your history with camp right now?
0: Well, it was, I think it was 16 years ago, uh, 2004. Uh, I had just finished college, and I had a buddy who uh, was telling me about camp, but I had no idea what it was about until I stepped foot into K-2 as a counselor. And it was a very pivotal time uh, in, in my life I think we'll probably get into that a little bit how outshaped uh, my coaching philosophy but spent a month out in k2 and it, it really it really changed me and uh, had a great impact upon me still to this day and then since then we've just had a, a deep relationship with camp we were bringing our teams down for uncle week for a while uh, you know we coordinate with you when you guys come on campus and I will do anything I can to get my players to work camp because to me it's it's the greatest leadership formation there is out there. So if I can send them, I'm getting them back, uh, impacted leaders. And what's really fun right now, as we
1: speak, your kids are at camp um, here at K-1. And so we've had the opportunity to get to invest in them. And, you know, they're run- there's tonicles running around all over this place. <laughs> Actually, not just your kids, but your brother's kids and uh, uh, your assistant coach, Jeff Clark, and his kids. So it's just so fun to
0: have them a part of our our summer experience. It's been incredible to uh, to watch them come to camp, to hear them come back, tell stories. Uh, it's what a blessing it is that that we know they're here for for two weeks.
1: So Greg, tell us about just how God led you into coaching. <laughs> when did that fire spark for you?
0: You know, I always had had a passion for coaching. I love basketball. I grew up in Indiana. It's a little different in Indiana. Um, you know, in, in, in Indiana, the 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 high school's the, the center, the pillar of the community. And uh, I loved basketball, but at the same time, I was passionate about my faith and I was always kind of wrestling with those two. And And even in college, as, as I neared graduation, didn't know what I wanted to do, it, there was part of me that felt called to ministry and uh, several people had kind of spoken a word over me uh, concerning ministry, but at the same time, I, I loved basketball, that was my passion. And, and it wasn't until I stepped foot on camp, uh, in 2004, where I saw that these two could be, I could reconcile these two, that basketball could be a ministry and that this was an environment that was doing it at a, an incredibly elite level. And it just kind of, I think it deposited a dream in me. And uh, mm-hmm. I remember walking up uh, Cardiac Hill one night and I said, if I'm ever a head coach and I was talking to God, this is, this is the environment, this is a culture I want it to be. Wow. And, and I didn't know what that really meant at the time, but yet something, something was, was deposited in my heart at that time. And crazy thing is, it, it was a year later, I got hired as the head coach at Indiana Wesleyan. I mean, I'm 24 years wow. old. Wow. Shouldn't have been hired. I wouldn't hire myself at 24 by no means. But I think God had started something in camp that he wanted to continue. That's amazing that God gave you a dream on Cardiac Hill. of all places good thing I was in decent shape because I was able to get up the hill and actually think you know keep my head straight man
1: that is awesome so you started coaching as a young man tell us about you know how long did it take you to really like find your rhythm you know who, who I am as a coach this is how I go about things um you know what was that process like
0: you know that was, that was a it was a hard process, and it it included a lot of failure. I, th- I think all of us uh, need failure. Uh, failures can be a good thing, because I think early on, I mean, I, w- I was operating as a leader the only way that I knew how, and that was basketball was really about uh, performance based identity. You know, as a player, you're you're trying to earn your identity through performance, and then you become mm-hmm. a coach, and all of a sudden you've got this record attached to you, and it Absolutely. didn't matter where I went, it, it, good intentioned people, but the number one question was, what was your record last year? And after a while, you begin to think that. And uh, obviously, you can't get in a rhythm, especially as a Christian coach. And so it took me a while to really iron that out and, and, and really surrendering to God. And and it wasn't until I, I think I realized that I coach people, not basketball. And to me, that's kind of the secret sauce at, at with with I Am Third, is that when you can engage your people at a heart level, you begin to— see things in them that, uh, maybe they don't even see and, and lead them to new places. And as I began to do that, basketball became so much more enjoyable, fun. And the crazy thing is, uh, far more successful. So,
1: you know, to, to kind of get like, begin with the end in mind, I want to tell the listeners what I've seen, what I've witnessed in your locker room. And I've been fortunate enough to be in your locker room quite a bit over the years, um, sometimes once or twice a year being in the huddle with your men and your locker room is a place where a family is growing up I mean they're just there. there's brotherhood um, there's real accountability faith is the number one thing I mean you guys have a you're discipling young men and oh by the way You're a really great basketball team, but the locker room is just, it's a place of, of growth, not in basketball players, but of men of character. And you're using basketball as the means, um, to an end of, of raising up Jesus followers. And it's just, to be honest with you, Greg, I mean, I just, I don't know that I've seen a locker room like it. And what's really fun is now you've got coaches from every level, literally NCAA, Division One, professional coaches from the NBA are reaching out to you and they want to know, how do we build this culture in our locker room? I mean, God's raising you up in an amazing way. So with that end in mind, let's, let's keep, you know, talking through like, what was the culture like when you inherited it, and what was the process of getting it from that place to a place of being an I'm third culture?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's really, you know, to your point there, it's a story of God using the weak to, to teach the strong or, you know, to shame the, the wise. I mean, here we are, a, a small little NAI program, but I think God's just doing some mighty things. And I, our program was like, I think, most athletic programs. We were a me first culture, and, and that's the culture— I think we live in right now we're just we're conditioned to really look out for ourselves right for Self, sure. self-preservation autonomy uh self-fulfillment these are these are the narratives of our culture that we place on such a high pedestal and we're told if you just focus in on yourself you're going to be a happy person but the reality is the more we look inward the more uh, uncomfortable and, and miserable we become and one of the things we do and we set out each and every year and we say we we want to help you Trade the pursuit of me for the pursuit of three. Because it's really a trade, right? you got to give up yourself. Jesus talks in the Gospels over and over. I was just reading it in Mark uh, this morning. I think it's Mark 8, that if anybody wants to come after me, he must first deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And that's that trade. Like, you have to trade pursuing yourself and pursuing him. And and you tell that to a bunch of 18- to 22-year-olds, and they look at you like you're crazy, right? (laughs) Like, hey, Coach, I came here to win. And... uh, you know, in our culture, if if I'm not in first in line, I'm going to get left out. But when you start to talk about the I'm third culture, it's really about enacting kingdom principles uh, within any organization. And if you truly believe uh, in the kingdom, you realize that the kingdom always wins. It may not win, uh, you know, at first, but. As we lean into the way God has created our world, it's funny how things fall in place. And so Mm. when you put God first and you put other people second, I've seen firsthand God just build a very successful basketball program. You
1: know, one of the things I love about studying leadership from a secular standpoint to read secular leadership books and secular podcasts is you see Jesus' leadership principles rising to the top. They cannot be stopped. You know, Good to Great by Jim Collins, you know, throughout just one of the most incredible leadership studies ever done, they showed that a level five leader, so it was one of the common denominators of a company that went from good to great and then remained great according to their criteria, was that they had a level five leader. And and what a level five leader, according to him, was that they had professional drive and personal Uh, humility. mm. And... That, that's amazing to me. When I was in the, when I was in, um, when I graduated college, I went and worked for a fortune 500 company and what was instilled was me in me was professional drive and drive to be the best, to beat all my other teammates. You know, I were in, I was in sales hmm. and it wasn't until I came to camp that I saw the missing ingredient and it was that personal humility. Tell me this. You know, you've you've had the blessing of working with, you've been called to work with a lot of secular organizations, some businesses and, you know, obviously basketball programs. How do you train them to instill the I'm Third culture in a secular environment?
0: Yeah, there's, there's a real hunger out there for, for the I'm Third culture in the secular environment. I can't tell you how many high schools that uh, we get to go in and we get to talk about I'm Third. It's funny because... They know it's God first, other people second. and They know, you know, that that's a little bit of a risk in a public school setting, but yet they're still willing to ask us to come in to talk to their teams, to talk to their coaches, because I think people are, are fed up doing it the other way. And I think they're, they're realizing that um, putting God first, other people second, is, it's not just right. Like, like I grew up kind of with that thought, you know, like I, as a Christian, you know, being, being obedient is right, but I'm finding out that it's good. Like, it's the better way. It's And that's what camp has taught me. It's, it's the most fun-filled, exciting, enthusiastic, passion way to live life. Like, mm-hmm. who doesn't want that? You know, like, who doesn't want to wake up and be excited about what God has laid before them? And when we put other people before ourselves, when we take the ownership upon ourselves to leverage whatever we have, man, that's an adventure worth following and taking every single day. And so, you know, I wrote down two things that um, we've been focusing with other organizations, especially you know, schools and coaches and athletic directors. But the first is, you know, if if people pursue I am third, what happens is they begin to develop a team whose mission is not centered on itself, but on God's kingdom. And that's the whole idea that we're going to trade the pursuit of me for the pursuit of three. Uh, Secondly, it's you begin to see a team whose leadership is comprised uh, not of an inward pursuit, but an outward pursuit. So I begin to to redefine success, and that that's hard to do because success now is based upon the growth of others, and that's one of the things we tell our guys, look, at the end of the year, we're going to sit you down, and we're going to gauge your success on one thing. How did those around you grow? And that's a completely flipped narrative, right? It's not going to be how many points you had, how many rebounds you had, but it's going to be the impact you had. And to me, the cool thing about that is, is if everybody buys into that, then that means on a basketball team, 15 people every day are pointing their lives at me saying, I'm going to raise your level. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to hold you accountable. And that's where I get better, right? I don't get better sitting in front of a mirror saying, hey, today, this is what I'm going to do for myself. I get better when 16 people are just pouring into me. And that's why I love coaching because, you know, as much as I can say, hey, I hope my players have grown. I've grown just as much because they're challenging me. My coaching staff's challenging me. And that's exciting. And then the result, you know, in a competitive athletic environment is that winning is more um, ensued than it is pursued. And what I mean by that is what we say is if you want to be first, first find a way to be third. And it's crazy to say, hey, you've won these national championships, but yet you're not pursuing winning. But the result is winning. You know, Mm -hmm. when when you have a team, a culture of I am third, I think it just raises the level of everybody. You get maximum potential out of everybody, and I've seen that on the basketball court. So the result has been – winning uh without having to focus and be obsessed with winning wow it's like you know it's kind of that i just imagine Mm -hmm. the
1: you know the spartan 300 when they lock their shields Mm -hmm. it's like the more i'm third you are the tighter the the shields are locked the less gaps there are and the more impenetrable Mm -hmm. your fortress is what a cool way to do life together what a cool way to compete together um Greg, how long did it take you to flip the culture? You know, I've always I've always heard it takes three years to change a culture, and I've actually experienced that to be true. I'm curious how it worked out for you
0: guys. So for for us, I mean, it's been gradual. I don't I don't think there was a, a, a definite point, um, but there was a um, I would say a kind of an opening of the floodgates for us, and it was when we won our first national championship in 2014, and we had kind of gotten to a point where we were stuck. Um, we had gone to four lead eights, I think four in a row. And uh, basically the long, I won't won't tell the whole story, but we we developed this idea of, of God was calling us to be fearless, and that um, greatness favors the fearless. As you look throughout history, especially biblical history, anytime somebody uh, was fearless, God God was able to move in amazing ways. And I think in coaching sometimes what we do is we we misuse our power. We bring fear into the game, and you can bring fear in by so many ways, but fear paralyzes. And as we begin to put God first and other people second, we begin mm-hmm. to pull fear out. And what we saw was that guy's potential began to elevate. And the year we really locked in on that, the year God spoke to us very clearly about that, we won our first national championship. And for me, my biggest fear was that I was never gonna be good enough leading up into that. You know, I had this fear that if I don't win a national championship, the day I retire, there's gonna be regret. Mm. Well, at the end of the day, that's a very selfish inward focus. And and God had I had to lay that before God and say, you know what? If I don't ever win one, I'm fine, right? My identity is in Christ, and I had to wrestle with that and and I had to lay that down. And I'm telling you, I laid it down at the end of two thousand and thirteen. Wow. And he rebirthed that in two thousand and fourteen. It was amazing. And the cool thing was when we won it, it was like, I didn't need this. Huh. you know, and it, and I was able to give that back, and I was able to platform that. And since then, I think the program's been putting on a platform simply to help other people get to that point, coaches specifically, where they surrender their programs in an I am third way. Okay, so, you know, obviously you guys have a
1: an I'm third culture or core theme. But one of the things that I've always admired you about you, Greg, is that you're always you take your your coaching staff and your players on a spiritual journey every season. And it's just like, you know, come with me. Come with me on a spiritual journey. And, you know, you mentioned fearless, but every year, you know, you've got kind of a sub theme. I think this year was unconscious, right? Mm -hmm. And talk to us about just this, the sensitivity of, you know, just leading in the moment and just the value of that. Because I think you you can set up a culture that you're satisfied with and then just Mm -hmm. run that play over and over again but I think you miss out on some specific things that God wants to do in and through your team. So talk to us about that.
0: Yeah, I think we've done a great job of teaching leaders how to dream. And we talk a lot about vision, um, but something I think God's taught me through my pastor who's, who's very discerning over the last five years is, are we teaching leaders to discern? Because when we discern, what we do is we, we tap in and, and we have access to God's voice. I mean, mm, through the scriptures, mm. and those those scriptures, that voice is is timeless. It just wasn't something that was spoken thousands of years ago, but it's something that God speaks to us today, and we have a place in that story. And to me, that's one of the exciting aspects of each and every season is is spending the time to discern and say, God, what do you have for us this year? Where are we supposed to aim our pursuits? Because that's another way to look at I am Third. You know, it, it's not just a catchy slogan; it's a pursuit. It, it's an orientation. It's where am I aiming my heart and my desires? Because where I aim those ultimately shapes who I become. And so right now, I mean, we're in that pursuit saying, God, what does this next year look like? Like, I don't want to come up with a catchy slogan because, you know, it'll, it'll last for a month. Sure. But if God speaks something to me, that eternal word is going to produce fruit for forever. Mm-hmm. And, and when you can find that, when you can really work and dig at that, and it's hard work, by the way. Um, man, you found something that's—you found a treasure. And— Last year, you know, God led us to this idea of being unconscious. It came out of uh, 1 Corinthians 4, and, and God did a work through that. And uh, we anticipate, you know, there's another one coming this year. And that, that's the fun, exciting part of leadership, because it doesn't matter if you're a coach. You could, you could be in charge of a business. You could be a school teacher. and you could be anywhere. Uh, and teaching your people to access God's voice and to discern, I think, is a very critical skill we can begin to implement.
1: hmm And that applies in every single leadership environment. Um, You know, one of the things that we talked with your players about this year was, you know, discovering their role, being clear on what their role is on the team, taking ownership of it, not getting focused on somebody else's role, but becoming a master of their own role. Um, I'd love for you to process through that a little bit because... You know, years ago, when you guys won your first national championship, I was there. And we share a relationship with a great friend uh, named Garvin Hoy. Mm. And Garvin was, um, you know, maybe the least talented basketball player on your team. Um, He was down at the very end of the bench. But Garvin knew his role. And I can see it. Like, the the images are actually seared in my mind, Greg, Mm. of when— when you guys would break for timeouts, Garvin was off, off the, he's the first one off the bench. He's bent over, he's clapping <laughs> his hands. He's chirping at the guys coming in. He's coaching from the end. He's grabbing guys as they're, they're walking in and out of the huddle. Like it's a guy who had the, probably the least glamorous role on the team, yeah. but he knew his role. He was unashamed of it. He laid hold of it and he was a difference maker that year. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just, I think that's so huge in a team to help our people take ownership. Like, God, the role that you have today, it is a gift. Absolutely. So talk about, you know, just that process of leading people to that point
0: to become a, to discover and then become a master of their role. Well, in full disclosure, I inherited Garvin from Canna Cuck and uh, I didn't do a thing. And, and Garvin's the reason why I want my kids at this camp and why I'm so excited, because he was a tremendous gift to our program because I think he grew up on these grounds and he understood what it meant to invest in other people and he knew where his identity was. And so we win the national championship, uh, Garvin's senior year, and he didn't play uh, meaningful minutes, but I could argue that he had as big of a role or impact as anybody in our program. And Mm -hmm. it was the daily decision for him to celebrate the success of others without getting any credit. And I I can't tell you, you know, I'd be be lying if I'd said I could have done that, right? I mean, my ego would probably be hurt a little bit, but Garvin, to his credit, just bought in. And now his legacy lives on. We talk about Garvin all the time in our program. Hmm. We had some All-Americans on that team. And I talk about Garvin more than the All-Americans because I know the impact. I know the kingdom value of that. And so that... When you, when you can celebrate those types of guys and, and those types of acts, man, you've, you've got something special. And, and I can't say enough about what, what Garvin did for our program in that time period. You know, I think, um,
1: you know, when our team members can recognize that that their role is God-given— And, and we can be content and satisfied. And I, I'm as, I'm as guilty of this as anyone of desiring more Mm -hmm. or wanting, you know, whatever the next step is to be hyper-focused and to be telling myself in my mind, all the reasons why I deserve that. And I should have that. And, and when I'm doing that, guess how good of a job I'm doing at my role. Right. <laughs> I got a bitter heart. I got a lousy attitude. And I'm doing a crummy job of what I should be doing <laughs> to get the promotion. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. And so I just um I just think it's such a, an important part of leadership to inspire and motivate people um to lay hold of the responsibility they've been given and to just mm. crush it <laughs> to become a master of it. And I think as a leader, you know, a big part of that's providing the clarity to know, like, tell me about, you know, one of the things on basketball teams, you have role players, mm-hmm. right? And some of those, those roles aren't on paper, are they coach? How do you help guys discover their
0: role? Man. That to me, the most difficult thing in, in leadership is to take a bunch of individuals and align them towards a common mission. Because each one of them has their own desires they're struggling with their own issues, but to say, hey, I want to get you guys all moving in the same direction. I want to get you excited about that is a challenge. And and to be honest, I don't know how we do that outside of the gospel. I don't. Uh, I think it's impossible because of the narrative of our culture, because of the, the current that we fight. But unless we get to the point where we, like Jesus, are willing to lay down our entire lives because of what God has called us. I, I don't know how we get to that point. So for us, we pursue that idea of roles through spiritual growth. As guys mature, as they fall in love with Jesus, you can't help but want to lay down your life for somebody else. And so as we go deeper, once again, we pull more potential out of our guys. As our guys grow spiritually, they become better basketball players. And, and you this year struck a chord with our team. It was, it was really interesting because, you know, you're obviously— popping in uh, for a brief time. You, you're familiar with the guys, but, but not the everyday. And you just said, hey, man, I've got something, and I'm excited about it. And as you begin to unpack it, and then you left, <laughs> we were dealt with a wake of, of guys that were disgruntled in, in a healthy way, saying, hey, I don't like my role. Hey, I, I need help with this. And it, unless we would have dealt with it at that midpoint of season – we wouldn't have been where we were at the end of season. And it opened a lot of conversation. It opened tough times, but man, it, it really showed us that you constantly have to be talking about these roles, giving guys, and, and here's what, in basketball, uh, it, I don't hand out roles because that never works. Like I need you to discover your role. Exactly. And, and, and to your point about gifts, as I help you understand your gifts, then maybe you can find your role. And that, that's kind of what it was walking alongside guys and saying, why does God have you here? Why has He made you this way? How can you impact the team? and And seeing them discover those roles was was pretty enjoyable
1: this year. Isn't that amazing? I mean that's one of the most amazing things about being a leader is you you don't just plug people into the same puzzle piece every mm-hmm. time, right? Every season, every team is different, and a leader's got to discover the gifting. I mean, you're really on a treasure hunt Mm. to figure out, okay, what do I have to work with? (laughs) What are the resources here and how do they all fit together? And we, we experience that every single year when we build our coaching staff and bring in our, our team, you know, from all around the country, it's a discovery process. And, and I just view it as my role. I want to help. I want to give them everything they can Mm. to succeed. Sometimes that's a hard challenge. Sometimes that's a little coaching. Sometimes it's seeing gifts that they don't see themselves. Sometimes it's a word of encouragement at the right time. But what a blessing it is to be that, you know, to play that role. I even see that at home, you Mm -hmm. know, with my kids. We're still just discovering who Lulu, Bell, Knox, Tess, Piper, and Sage are. And um, you're a daddy of of six as well, aren't you? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what an amazing opportunity to build a culture, um, in your own home. Talk to us about that. You know, you've, you've become a great basketball coach, Greg. How have you taken some of those, you know, those lessons you've learned as a leader and applied them to your own home?
0: Yeah, I think, I think it can be easy to, um, control people and, and kind of what I'm hearing you saying is our job is to empower them. It's it's not to call out, but to call up. And, and when you call up, what you're doing, once again, is you're discerning what is God saying uh, to this person? How has God equipped this person? And you're coming alongside somebody, not necessarily in front pulling, not in back pushing, but you're coming alongside of them and saying, hey, here's how I see God speaking. Here's how I see him moving. Can I help you in this journey? Because they need to take ownership, right? I mean, man, I just want my kids to take ownership of their faith. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to help carry them. That's why they're in my home. But there comes a time where I got I to gotta put them on their own two feet, and they got to walk. And uh, I think to get to that point, there's got to be moments where I let go. Um, there's moments where I'm, I'm back praying. They don't know it. I'm mm-hmm. fighting on my knees. I mean, I tell our guys this all the time, like, you think these workouts are hard. You know, we'll be at the end of a workout uh, junkyard, and they're sweating, some are throwing up. And I'm like, if you think this is hard— you just wait till you get married and you have kids. Because to me, there's no two more difficult, but yet rewarding things in life than having a godly marriage and raising godly kids. Mm-hmm. But, but can you think of anything that wars against you daily more? So if you can't fight on this field right now, if you can't finish this set or this rep, boys, you got it in for you. Yeah. So to see that light bulb come on, like, okay, let's do another set. Let's do another yep. rep. Because someday I'm going to be fighting for my wife and my kids. I mean, that jacks me up.
1: Character. Mm-hmm going deep.
0: Greg, you've, you
1: know, you're still a young man and you've experienced a lot of success. How do you define success moving forward?
0: Does 40 mean you're young? Cause I just turned 40.
1: I think it is. I think if Joe was sitting here, he would tell <laughs> you you're just a pup.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think I'm more I'm more excited and energized about my future in coaching now than I ever have been. Um, God's taken us into some new areas. He's given us a new mission. We've started this movement called Greater, where we are uh, gathering leaders, mostly coaches, but it's starting to move into the business sector. And we're talking about how to make discipleship the primary driver of what we lead and what does that look like. And I'm telling you, all across this country, um, in college basketball especially. There are coaches who are excited. Uh, we're jumping on weekly Zoom calls. We do a uh, two-day retreat on the campus of Indiana Wesleyan. And to watch these coaches go back to their programs and say, man, I'm going to put God first and put other people second has really energized me. Wow. And it's kind of a new scorecard. Mm. You know, I'm not looking at, hey, I'm trying to get to this number of wins or, uh, you know, I want to win some more national championships. Don't get me wrong. But it's not what fuels me and wakes me up each and every morning. It's it's this journey that God has us on, uh, helping others implement I Am Third into their programs. You know,
1: I mean, um, again, just so cool that God has taken a passion that you guys have discovered, and now he's he's letting you replicate it. I mean, that's what discipleship mm. is. You know, I want to talk about just this spring, I, you know, you— you guys were trending in a really strong direction. I mean, your team was peaking at the right time. You had a couple unbelievable players, like phenomenal basketball players. And and your season was abruptly ended. How did you guys take that? How did you process it?
0: One of the most difficult things I think I've had to lead. Um, I, re- I still remember it. We're, we're getting ready to play. We're number one seed. I mean, everything was clicking. And uh, they they come into a little practice court where we were warming up and said it's over, and we're like, what do you mean it's over? And they're it's been canceled. And this was kind of prior to the pandemic ramping up, and we're mm-hmm. like, this is, what do you mean? You know, this is ridiculous. And so within an hour, we're back at the hotel, and uh, that that was one of those moments as a leader where nothing you say is you feel like is going to be good enough, and you don't know what to say, so don't make anything up. And I just stood in front of my team and I cried. And I, I couldn't stop crying. I mean, I was just shedding tears because I knew what this meant, especially to our seniors. It was over. I knew that we still had a week of, of, of just some spiritual intimacy together. That's what the national tournament is to us. I mean, we go deep, and we're together for that week. And I was like, it's over? I mean, we don't get to, we don't get to journey like that. So I just stood in front and cried, and, and everybody else cried. And, and then we began to slowly share stories of what God had done throughout the year and, and really kind of retell the story that you brought of, of David and, and his mighty men and kind of how we fit into that story. And as strange as this sounds, it turned into a gift, a really special gift that I think we'll probably appreciate more down the road. You know, as the sting wears off, we'll say, man, that moment we had where we experienced God, where we encouraged each other with, with the stories, uh, every year I think will bring a little bit more healing to, to the way season ended. Mm-hmm.
1: Greg, I want to give you the final word. Um, we've talked in the past, you know. God, I'm not going to drop names, but some, you know, you've influenced some high profile coaches, and they have struggled with, you know, I think having a desire to create an I'm third culture, but the the struggle or, or tension of what they would potentially have to give up or change. Mm-hmm. What would you tell? I mean, what did you tell them? What would you tell someone who's on the cusp of perhaps making some significant mm-hmm. changes in their family, organization, team, towards an I'm third culture? What would you tell them to encourage them to go for it?
0: Man, I I, I would just encourage them um, to fully trust God with whatever it is. It could be your business. It could be your team. But when we get to that point where we are willing to surrender whatever we want for Him, He always comes through. Uh, And and it'll be a trade that you'll never regret. And it'll be a journey uh, that you'll enjoy for the rest of your life if you truly wake up every day and pursue Him first and pursue other people.
1: Greg, thank you for joining us. And thank you to our audience members for taking time today and Uh, talk I'm third. We hope that today's conversation serves to fuel your I'm third approach to leadership. And with that said, I'd love to pray over our leaders and we'll talk with you next time. Father, we come to you and we just pray a blessing over um, Greg and his team and just the continued influence that you're multiplying through their program. We ask God that um, you would continue to raise up I'm third leaders in our country and in this world, and we pray for our listeners, God, that they would be inspired today uh, to pursue that very thing, to put God first, others second, and themselves third, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: We hope today's conversation left you encouraged, strengthened, and empowered. If you haven't had a chance, please subscribe to our podcast today to stay up to date with the latest episodes. If this podcast has helped you in any way, please consider rating us, writing a review, or sharing it with others so we can continue to build you up with an I'm Third approach to marriage, family, leadership, and spiritual growth. For more information about the podcast, visit CannaCookPodcast.com. And for more information about CannaCook, you can visit CannaCook.com.